Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the weekly sermon with Pastor Stephen. This week, he looks at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and the title is The Result of Being in Christ. If you have a Bible, please take that Bible and open to Romans chapter 8. We are in a series going verse by verse through the book of Romans that we kind of took the month of December off. And so we're back into it this morning. It's entitled A Life Transformation. And I think you would agree with me if there was ever a poster child for someone who's been transformed, it's the Apostle Paul. Uh, Not only was he transformed from the inside out, it was so radical, they're like, we're going to have to change your name. Nobody's going to believe it's the same you. And that's the reason why he is so passionate in his writings about a life in Christ. And over and over again, he is saying, listen, you are in Christ, you are different than those who are not in Christ. That he radically comes in and changes everything. And instead of the using the word a life change, I chose the word a life transformation because to me it's just... I don't know, it's a little bit heavier, right? A little bit weightier in the word. To me, it conveys this idea, I can't transform myself, only God can do the transformation. And so we're walking through, again, Romans 8. Now, we're going to be in Romans 8 for about eight weeks, and here's what I want to challenge you to do. 39 verses in Romans chapter 8. Over the next eight weeks, I want you to memorize every verse in Romans 8. Okay, that's the challenge. Uh, Some of you are thinking, I I don't remember where I parked my car this morning when I got here. I I know I'm not a big one on the memorization either. Um, I promise you, you'll never go wrong hiding God's word in your heart. And so join me. You got eight weeks. You break it down. That's 39 verses. So you do the math. You know, only a few verses that you would memorize each week. You say, well, what are we going to get if we do that? Well done. (laughs) Well, well done. Okay? All right. So, follow the challenge. Husbands and wives, you challenge each other with it. Teenagers, you memorize it this afternoon. (laughs) Something that has been happening uh, ever since, the, I guess, the new year on all the social Uh, media outlets is, uh, you know, folks have been doing this 10-year challenge, posting photos of themselves 10 years ago. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I was thinking about doing this before that even happened because we're talking about a change that happens in life. But I'm I'm not going to go back 10 years ago. I'm going to go back roughly almost 25 years ago. And so I brought some photos this morning that I think, there's the first one. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor, you've not changed a bit. (laughs) This is Jennifer and I dating. We've been dating for a few months. I was the student pastor at a church in uh, Northeast Arkansas. And so we we brought our students down to camp. And lo and behold, that is Panama City Beach right there. And uh, we needed chaperones. And I'm like, hey, how about you come and chaperone this trip? And none of, neither one of us knew in this picture that we would be married for what will be 24 years this year, uh, or would I end up being the pastor in Panama City, Florida. But uh, there's a second picture, 
And this is from several, this is, this is our wedding, in case you haven't figured it out. And, uh, you know, that's just, uh, I don't know, several months later, we didn't have a long engagement. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of one of those, hey, when you know, you know. Now, now listen now, some of you thought you knew about three times, so that's not necessarily the best, that's not the best course of action. Um, and I don't, I don't say that to belittle anybody, okay? Just sometimes things just come out. And then there's a third picture, and this is just a few weeks ago. And we were at the wedding of a uh, friend's child there. And, uh, uh, you know, to, I like that one. I, well, I don't like the left part of that one, but I like, I, like, I like that one. Life changes, doesn't it? And I don't like change. I seriously do not like change. If I were to walk into my house and a chair were to be moved, it would bother me. I do not like change. I like everything to be exactly the same. I like to know where everything is going to be. And I just do not really, really enjoy change. But the reality is change is a part of life. And while we focus on pictures and we're all like, oh my goodness, I can't believe the change that's happened in 10 years and all this kind of stuff. He's talking about this kind of change in this passage of scripture, but he's talking about something greater than just an outward change. He's talking about a change that happens on the inside of someone who is in Christ that actually it permeates every area of life. A transformation. So much that he's like, I had to change my name. That's what Jesus did in me. So with that being said this morning, this is a great, great chapter in the Bible. Uh, Some folks describe Romans 8 as the Mount Everest of faith. You start with no condemnation, you end with no separation, and right in the middle, all things work to good for those that are in love with the Lord. And so it's just a powerful, powerful chapter. But in this chapter, the first four verses, we're going to see the results of what it means to be in Christ. And he's talking about living a spirit-filled life. Let's look there. We're in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sin, in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, there are four direct results of being in Christ. And he's just revealed them to us. The first result that we see of being in Christ is sin no longer condemns me. That when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we repent of our sins, that's when we are Christians, and that's when God looks at us as in Christ Jesus. Verse 1, look at what he says again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Picture with me, you've seen these movies before where there would be a Roman king sitting on the throne and they would bring in uh, prisoners or criminals before him and then he would make a determination of whether they were innocent or guilty. He would judge them up or he would judge them down. And uh, whether this is true or not, I don't know, but you've seen this in movies and he would basically, he would give the thumbs up, all right, they get to live. He would give the thumbs down, off with their heads. Judging down, that's what the word condemnation means. They have been judged down. They have been declared to be guilty. See, what happens is when it says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, it means that we are no longer bound by the guilt that rightfully belongs to us because of our sin. That God is not going to judge us down because of our sin. He is not going to condemn us because of our sin. Now, some folks get a little confused by this because they think, well, that means that we're not going to be judged because of our sins. Well, that's not true. There are two future times of judgment. There's the judgment of the seat of Christ in which Christians will go and be a part of that judgment. But this is not being judged down. This is not being condemned because of our sin. Because again, in Christ, that's already been taken care of. God no longer even sees us uh, in, in guilt for our own sin. So this, this judgment at the seat of Christ is where he rewards us according to our deeds. It's, it's the very crowns that we will take and we will cast at his feet, Right? But yet there's another future judgment, and that judgment will happen at the, uh, the great white throne. And this is not for Christians. This is for those that are lost. This is for those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only they will be there. And I can tell you, and if you've read the Bible, you understand Revelation 20 makes it clear that at the great white throne judgment, we know the outcome. They will be separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell. Why? Because they are still being judged according to their own sin. They're being condemned according to their own sin. In Romans 8.1, it does not say there's not going to be any judgment for Christians. It says there's going to be no judging down for Christians. There's going to be no condemnation. Why? Because he says we are in Christ. We've talked about this as we've been walking through the book of Romans. This is a positional righteousness that he offers to us. That now in Christ, he no longer looks at us as unrighteous sinners. Instead, he looks at us through this filter of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And although I'm not a perfect person, and although you're not a perfect person, if you have been born again and you are in Jesus Christ, and God points his finger at you and at me, and he says, when I look at you, I see my child, the righteousness of Jesus. And so it is a position that we are in. Again, he says, in Christ. So we're saved from the condemnation of our own sin. We've been delivered, we've been rescued from the condemnation of our own sin, and we are righteous. When we are in Christ, we can also say, I decide to do right. We said that's 
practical righteousness, right? Because there's a daily living out of good deeds in the Christian life. Again, we don't do that to be saved. We do that because we are saved. That there is a difference that happens for those that are in Christ uh, opposite of what happens for those that are outside of Christ. There's a daily living out of good deeds in the Christian life and we do that because we are saved. We do that because that's what God wants for us. Ephesians 2 verse 10 talks even more about this. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 2 verse 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. Lest any man should boast, for we are, here's the phrase, God's workmanship. Here's the idea that it conveys. It's kind of like God's this heavenly handyman, and, and God is working on us, and he, you know, and he has this shop, and we're created in Jesus Christ to do good works. The Bible says that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So when you are in Christ, you have now been set free. You've now been saved from the condemnation of God as a result of your sin, and when you're in Christ, Christ, that brings about a, a righteous kind of living. I want to live a righteous life. I want to please Christ with my life. Not to be saved, I want to do that because I love Jesus Christ. Sin no longer condemns me. I'm just saying if we have this ideology that you know what? Grace is something that forgives of sins, yet grace does not change from the inside out an individual, then I would have to sit there and question, have you truly been a recipient of grace? It brings about a life change. It changes your position and it changes your practicality of living life daily. But the first result of, of being in Christ is sin no longer condemns me. But then there's a second result. Sin no longer confines me. That there is nothing, if you are in Christ, there is nothing that can make you sin anymore. We read about that in verse 2. Look in verse 2 again. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. See, before you came to Christ, there was this old law that was working in your life. There was a law that had a stranglehold on you, and you were wrapped up, and you were bound by it. And what was that law? It was the law of sin and death. The Bible says this. The Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall surely what? Die. That's the law of sin and death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That is the law of sin and death, the old law that had that strangled grip on us before we came to Christ. And then he says in verse 2, the new law sets me free. That is the law of the spirit of life, that it has set me free from what? This law of sin and death. Guys, in, in, in chapter 8, Paul is going to use the word the spirit over 20 times. In one chapter, the other 15 chapters alone throughout the book of Romans, he's only going to use it 13 times, yet in this one chapter, chapter 8, over 20 times, talking about the Spirit. He is making a point to us in chapter 8, and he is saying, listen, it's all about the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us that brings about this transformation. 
I'll give you an example. If you were to take a boat and you were to put that boat in the water, there could be a wind that would be blowing, and it's not really going to bring about a lot of movement of that boat. But when you do what? When you raise the sails of that boat, and the sails, the, the wind begins to fill up the sails, that's what brings about the movement, right? That's what brings about the change. And so you may be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but it's not until you yield to the Holy Spirit that the power of the Holy Spirit fills your life life and moves you alone. There is a new law operating. It is the law of the Spirit. And so the last time we were in Romans, we were in chapter 7. And in chapter 7, let's just be honest, chapter 7, quite often we use it as an, as an excuse to live in a, sinful, in a sinful way. How many times do we find ourselves quoting and saying, well, you know what Paul said, that the good things I want to do, I don't do, and the bad things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. If it were good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Yeah, Paul's saying, yeah, that's who I was under the old law. The law of sin and death. But then he says in chapter 8, there's a new law operating. And there is a struggle, right, that is, that is between these two, but progressively, you ought to be surrendering more and more to this new law. But don't expect perfection to begin with. Remember, it's a process, right? And I would submit that that's the reason why there are some of you that sometimes get down more on yourself than God gets down on you, because sometimes you expect perfection of yourself, and God does not expect perfection of us. God expected perfection of one, Jesus, and he got it. And it's a growing experience. I'll explain it this way. For those of us that are parents or grandparents, you know the joy that comes along when that child begins to take those first few steps. Around, I don't know, 10 months to a year. And I know your, your grandchild's much more advanced. They, they were walking at three months. I know. I've heard the stories. It's crazy. And usually what will happen is this, right? They have been operating and living under this old law. What was the old law? Crawling. And kids can, man, they can get really creative crawling to get around. But then eventually what happens one day is, all of a sudden, it usually goes like this. There's the mom, there's the dad, and they'll be on one side of the room, and the, the child will be there, and they're, they're pulling up now, and they've yet to take the first few steps, and they've pulled up, and they're standing there, and, and the parent will sit there and say, come on, walk to daddy. Come on, walk to mama. And you know, they, they get so excited, and there's a big grin that comes on their face, and they're just overcome. Oh my goodness, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And they all look like little Frankensteins. You know, they just have stiff legs, and, they're, and they take those first few steps, and then what happens? They fall. How many of you parents or grandparents, when that happened, you got right in that child's face, and you're like, come on, what are you doing? You sorry loser, can't you walk? Come on, man, let's walk. You don't do that, do you? It usually goes like this. Oh, good job. Yay. Yay. Mama's crying. I can't believe my baby's walking. Yay. Yay. Come on, let's try it again. Let's try it again. This will be, be better. You can do it. You can do it. And they begin to walk more than they do what? Fall. You know, I've been told that there are people at all ages who fall. But you begin to walk more than you 
then you fall. That's kind of what he's talking about here. He's talking about, hey, yeah, I got this new, this new spirit that is, you know, of, of uh, this new life in the spirit, this, this new law that is operating. And I've got this old law and there's a battle that is going back and forth to and from. But listen to me, no longer am I confined by the old law. No longer does it have a grip on me. No longer does it sit there and say, this is who you are and this is what you will do. And the Christian life is a growing experience. And you may fall some to start with, but as you grow spiritually, you, you, you're going to start walking more than you fall. But now walking is not the only challenge we face in life. I remember several years ago, our youngest daughter got her driver's permit. And one day my wife said, hey, hey Emma, why don't we do this? Why don't, why don't we go out and we'll drive and you can just drive me around the block, around our neighborhood. And, uh, and our son, he was eight or nine at the time. And he said, ooh, I want to go, I want to go. Can I go when Emma practices her driving? Yeah, you can go, sit in the back seat, put your seatbelt on. And, and so she, she, she starts coming out of the driveway and, you know, and then she, 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 she turns left to go in, you know, around our neighborhood. And as soon as she comes out of the driveway, she floors it. <laughs> headed at breakneck speed toward our neighbor's brick mailbox. And at the last moment, she slams on the brakes and uh, reads in the floorboard crying. <laughs> I want to go home. I want to go home, Mom. I want to go, go home. And Jeff's like, okay, Emma, let's do this. All right, back up real slowly. We're going to turn around, and you take Reed home. He goes, no, 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 I'm walking. <laughs> Got out and walked back to the house. See, when she started, she wasn't very good. And then if you would have told us then that there would ever be a day where we're like, yeah, that's okay, go ahead, drive eight hours back to college by yourself. Are you kidding me? She couldn't drive eight minutes around the block. But she's a pretty good driver. She would argue a better driver than I am. Well, friend, listen to me. The point I'm trying to make is some Christians live in chapter 7 of Romans and they're only occasionally visiting chapter 8. Now, that may be okay if you're a spiritual baby. That may be okay if this, if this walk in Christ is a new thing, if you're an infant, right? If you're just a novice there, you've only recently come to know Christ. But as you grow as a Christian, you ought to be spending most of your time in Romans 8 and only occasionally you're back in Romans 7. And that's my job as your preacher, as your pastor, to consistently convince you, quit hanging out in chapter 7. Come on over here. Take up permanent spiritual residence in chapter 8. Quit operating under the law of sin and death. And instead, start living under the law of the spirit of life. What are you saying, church, is for those that are in Christ, no longer does sin condemn you. Here's what that means. That the moment that you receive Christ and you are now in Christ, that God looks at you through the lens of Jesus and he sees all the righteousness of Christ in you. And that's the reason why we can stand securely this morning saying, I am in Christ. That will not change. That's the position that I have. And then sin no longer confines me that that we we can't sit there and say well you know what I just can't help it I can't do it well, well no the Holy Spirit now resides inside of you now hear me 
I'm not saying you're not, you're going to be perfect. Please hear me. I'm not saying that. It's just saying he has given us all we need through the power of the Holy Spirit of God to live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the third result. Can I give you the third one? We can pray and go home right now. All right, well, one, at least one. Sin no longer charges me. Oh, boy. Sin no longer charges me. Now, I've never been arrested. I know some of you have. Some of you have. And I know you're like, well, you know, that was before I was redeemed. Or there was a big misunderstanding. I get that. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we have a lot of incarcerated people who watch our weekly television broadcast. And I receive a lot, of, a lot of correspondence from them and so thankful that they watch us every single week. And even though I've never been arrested, I can promise you this, I am a sinner who is in need of the grace of God. Okay, so that's, we're united with that. But I've never been arrested. Now, uh, I've heard, and some of my deacons have verified this, that when you're arrested, an arresting officer says, you're under arrest and here's the charge. Or at least that's what they're supposed to say. In verse 3, he gives us the charge against us. Look at the charge here when it comes to our sin. He says in verse 3, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So you and I were facing a capital charge against a holy God. And God's sitting there and God's saying, okay, here's the deal. Here's what you need to do. You need to keep the law of sin and death. Have you kept the law? And we're like, well, no, sir, your honor, we've not kept the law. And the reason why we've not kept the law is because we're unable to keep the law because the law requires perfection and I cannot give perfection. I stand guilty as charged. That's every one of us. Guilty as charged, but then notice what it says in verse 3. What the law was weak to do through my sinful flesh, mm, God did it anyway. God did it anyway. When I was a college student and the first church that I ever served in a staff role, and it was a part-time, it was a glorified paid Sunday school teacher is what it was, and it was in rural West Tennessee, and you know, some of the richest things that I was ever taught in my life was taught there, and uh, we were talking about Romans 8 one time, and there was this precious, precious lady that I have no doubt has probably died and gone on to be with the Lord, and she was sitting there, and she described what is happening in this passage of scripture better than I ever read or learned in seminary, and here's what she described. She said, well, today I was cooking up a, a, a pork roast. And I lost track of the time. And she said, I way overcooked it. I went to try to get it out of the pan to transfer it over to my platter. And I was using a fork. But every time I would pick it up with my fork, it would fall apart. And she said, you know, that fork... That fork represents, I mean, only she could do this. That fork represents the law. There's nothing wrong with the fork. But that overcooked tenderloin or pork loin represents the sinful flesh. 
And I would take that fork and I would try to move it and it would fall apart and it'd fall apart and it'd fall apart. Again, the pork loin, the sinful flesh, right? It's all messed up. It's not the way it's supposed to be, nor was it intended to be. And the fork representing the law, nothing wrong with a fork. It was a perfectly fine fork. And she said, so then I did what I only could do. I took out my spatula. And she said, I'd use that spatula and I transferred over the entire pork loin to the serving platter. And here's what she said, deep, deep, deep. Write this down. Jesus is the spatula. I'm like, somebody needs to make a t-shirt out of that. <laughs> like the record show, if you do, I get 10%. No, you know, have at it, man. Wear it out. Jesus is the spatula. what she says. She says, nothing wrong with the fork. The messed up stuff was the meat. That's you and I. And what the fork could not do, all of a sudden God comes in through Jesus and he says, no worries. I can take care of it. And he lifts us up and he picks us up and he brings about healing. And so the scenario is we stand before God, guilty as charged, but the Lord Jesus Christ steps in and the Lord Jesus Christ says this, Father, it is correct. He is guilty. It is correct. She is guilty, but I choose to take their punishment. And I offer my life for their life. And they now become my sin offering. And then there's some great powerful truth in verse 3. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now here's what that does not mean. It does not mean that he came in sinful flesh, okay? It was like sinful flesh, but he did not come in sinful flesh. He did not sin. It does not say that he came in the likeness of flesh because it was real flesh. What that means is in every single way that I've been tempted and in every single way that you You've been tempted, and in every single way that every person who has ever lived has been tempted, Jesus experienced that exact same temptation. The difference is he did not give in to it. That he was sinless. The only one who ever met the requirement of the law. It was fulfilled in Jesus and that's the reason why Isaiah, when he was talking about the coming Messiah, when he was prophesying about Jesus, said this about him in Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment of our peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. It means that Christ took our sins so that you and I are not charged for our sins. I was talking to Corey earlier this week and I said, hey, as we're laying out the song service, I want to sing that song, It Is Well With My Soul. I want to sing that song. He's like, cool, let's do that. He didn't say it that way, but yeah. If you know the story behind the song, it really gives a lot of beauty to the song. Written by Horatio Spafford, who as he, was, as he was sailing, he was on a boat going across the Atlantic Ocean to be reunited with his wife who had left him earlier and on the voyage, his children died. And when he came to that exact spot where they died, he had already told uh, you know, the captain, please let me know, and that's where he wrote the words to it as well. It's a great song. I think it's an anointed song. 
Now, if you study more about Horatio Spafford, that's why I always find this interesting because there are some folks from time to time who will want to reach out to us and say, well, we ought not sing this song because of of somebody who wrote this song and they're a little messed up when it comes to their theology. So we ought not sing this song because they teach something that may not be really kosher. So because they've written it, we ought not sing it. Horatio Spafford, I think you would all agree with me, It Is Well With My Soul is a great, great song that honors God and his sovereignty and it gives him great glory. Yet Horatio Spafford, if you study his life, before he left this earth, he recanted Christianity. So if that's the case, then we got to quit singing it as well with my soul. So here's what I would say to those who get so concerned and worried about who writes the words to songs and their doctrine and all that. Just go ahead and trust me and the other pastors to make decisions. I mean, we're not going to lead you to sing a song that is anything but biblical in nature. But that's not why I like it as well. To me, what makes it such a great song is verse 3. Verse 3, I was going to sing it, but I got cough drops in my mouth. Listen to what it says. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. Here's how we would say it. My sin, oh my goodness, I can't believe what I'm about to say. My sin, not in part, somebody hear this, not in part, but the whole. Here's what that means. There's never been a sin that was too great that Jesus could not forgive. There's never been any amount of imperfection. There's never been any amount of of, of disobedience that Christ said, well, I took it all to the cross, but that one. My sin, not in part, but the whole, Mm. is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more and then he's like I don't know what else to say praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul praise the Lord here's what he has just said he has just said listen 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 Romans 8 yes I deserve to be charged for my own sin I'm the one who racked up the debt I'm the one who put out the card. But Jesus, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. I can't believe what he has done for me. And so any born-again believer, he says, can say, I am not charged with my sin. Has nothing to do with you and I. Has everything to, be, everything to do with in Christ. I am in Christ, and because I'm in Christ, no longer do I have to worry about the condemnation that comes along with the fact that I am a sinner. Because I am in Christ, no longer do I have to sit there and say, well, since I am a sinner, and this is my nature, and this is the way I was born, and this is just who I'm always going to be. Once a sinner, always a sinner. I'll be defined by my sin. He says, no, 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 not in Christ. In Christ, now you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. You can go out of seven into eight. Your sin can't even charge you anymore because Jesus has paid the price. I can give you a fourth one. Y'all act like you don't want it. I can give it to you. Sin no longer controls me. Look at the last part of verse 4. He's talking about spiritual Christians. 
who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here's what that means. There's this old nature at work, right? Chapter 7. And then there's this new nature at work, the Holy Spirit, who lives with inside of us. Understand, receiving the Holy Spirit, it's not some second blessing. It's not some future blessing. It's not you've got to do something in order to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. You say, well, I had somebody teach me. Unfortunately, they taught you wrong. The Holy Spirit, you get all of the Holy Spirit you need the moment you're in Christ. Period. It is associated with the very position of righteousness that happens when you get saved. So, what that means is the Holy Spirit is living inside of us and there is a brand new nature at work. And as a result of that, this new nature says no to the urges of the sinful nature. You say, how many times do you have to say that? Do you have to say that every day? No to the urges of the sinful nature. Do you have to say that every hour? Do you have to say that every minute or every 30 seconds? I have no idea. It just depends. But you got to keep on saying no, right? You say, I'm not going to give in to this temptation. I'm not going to think this dirty thought. I'm not going to say that. No, I'm not going to give in. You just keep on saying no, 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 no. It says no, this new nature, no to the urges of this sinful nature. But then it also says, it says yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I choose to say yes. Let the love of Jesus be exhibited in my life. I choose to say yes, Holy Spirit, give me the peace of Jesus. I choose to say yes to the patience of Jesus. I choose to say yes to the goodness of Jesus. I choose to say yes to the gentleness of Jesus. I choose to surrender to you, Holy Spirit, who lives inside of me. That you and I, who are in Christ, we have that power who lives inside of us. And it's the decision and the choice that we make every single day. And the biggest problem some of you deal with is you actually think you can't get over the law of sin and death. That you're enslaved to it. Well, this is who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. No, God is doing a work in you. He's not done yet, but he's not through. Remember a while back I told you that the law of sin and death is a lot like the law of gravity. Remember we said that? That for, you know, down throughout history, mankind has been like, man, there's the law of gravity. There's nothing that can supersede or overcome the law of gravity. I mean, no matter what happens. And, and, and down through the ages, there were even some folks that came along and they challenged that with their thoughts and their theories and all that. But nothing really changed. The law of gravity, everything is secondary to the law of gravity. There was still no proof that gravity could be overtaken until a cold December day in 1903. In Kitty Hawk, North Carolina... Two brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright, 
They made the very first controlled, sustained flight of a powered, heavier-than-air aircraft, thus successfully proving a new law that supersedes the law of gravity. Do you remember what we said it is? It is the law of aerodynamics. It doesn't cause there to be, you know, the law of aerodynamics does not say, well, there is no gravity. No, there's still gravity. It's just the law of aerodynamics says gravity, gravity has no hold. Gravity can be overcome. Gravity can be superseded, right? Now, hear me. The law of aerodynamics is worthless and does not mean one single thing to you unless you do what? Unless you go down to the airport, you climb up in that plane, you strap on your seatbelt, you've got your mask on, except for when you take a sip of coffee, and it takes off. The law of aerodynamics means nothing unless you choose to fly. It's worthless unless you choose to fly. There's no law of aerodynamics in your life. There's only the law of gravity. Why? Because you're like, well, I'm not going to fly. That's crazy. What about gravity? Well, gravity has been overcome. And hear me. All throughout mankind, through the ages, is the question asked, can a man or a woman be holy? Can a man or a woman live Godly. And the reason why we can't is because of that old law of sin and death, but there is a new law of life that can overcome it. And yes, you can soar above and you can live holy and you can live righteously. And again, that's that whole thing of I am dying to self. I'm surrendering to Christ. I'm not getting it perfect, but I'm telling you, I'm hanging out in eight a lot more than I'm hanging out in seven. And I'm growing in my faith and I'm growing in my obedience and I'm growing in this new creature that is surrendering to the one who gave his life for me so that in turn he might shape me, make me, transform me into his very image. You say, I can never do that. No, you can't. If you could, why would we need grace? Why would we need the Holy Spirit? Why would we need Christ taking our sins and nailing them to the cross? And so as your pastor is one who gives an account for your soul, I'm consistently praying this for you as I'm praying for myself that we would stop living here under the old law of sin and death in Romans chapter 7 and we would start living in the new life of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. You say, Pastor, why do we focus on that? Why aren't we talking about this transformation? Why aren't we talking about yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit and maturing in our walk and maturing in our faith? You know why? You know why the prayer is get out of seven and get into eight? Because it'll change your marriage if you do that. It'll change your family. It'll change your job. It'll even change your attitude about life. It'll change everything. But now the last time I checked, that's what being in Christ does. 
It changes everything. And so this morning, he is encouraging. He's also giving a little bit of accountability. He is setting, uh, he's kind of setting the, uh, the, the passage for where it is going to go. But here's what he is saying. Friend, you do not forget the power that you have in Christ. You do not forget what was done and who you are now that you're in Christ. No longer allow this old law to define who you are. No longer believe that you're held hostage to this nature. Oh, no, 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 no. That was before Christ. And then he's going to get to the point where he's going to say, oh, by the way, you're more than conquerors because of Christ. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.